Every year at the end of a year, all these lists come out. The best albums of 2017, the best movies of 2017, and so on and so forth. I came across a list uh, just last week. The most common passwords that we use in all of our accounts. You're going to be sorely disappointed at this list that I'm about to share with you, okay? I'm just warning you up front. If this describes one of your passwords, no comment, all right? Number one, here we go. Most common passwords. One, two, three, four, five, six. Number two, password. Number three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Number four, one, two, three, four, five. Number six, this one's original, let me in, all one word. Number seven, football. Number eight, I love you, all one word. And then here's the one that's really going to get you. Number nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So if those describe any of your passwords, do not be surprised at all when people hack into your accounts. Okay? This is why people get identity theft. Um, as a human race, we need to be better on our passwords. Are we really that uncreative? Surely we can do better. Okay? So some of my passwords are bad as well. This has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought you might be interested. Those are the most common passwords used. Please go home and change it immediately if that's yours. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bible or on your phone, it's going to be on the screen as well. Seven parables in this chapter that Jesus teaches us. We're going to be looking at two of them. Two very, very short parables in terms of length, but very, very... Powerful in terms of their message to us. Of course, we know Jesus is the master teacher. He's also the master parable teacher. No one was really using parables before Jesus. And no one's been able to use them as well as him either. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Looking at the parable of the hidden treasure. And the parable of the pearl of great value. Starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If any of you have ever been on a treasure hunt or if you've ever been in search of something, you know God has hardwired us to get excited when we find something that we've been looking for. Every summer I take my family to the beach, of course my dad pays, and uh, we go look for sand crabs. You know, when the sun goes down, all those crabs come up from the sand and those things scatter across. It's my son's favorite thing to do. He gets so excited about finding those sand crabs, okay? Something about finding items means something to us. Perhaps you're just looking around your house and you find a piece of jewelry that you thought you'd lost or an important document that you needed years ago or a piece of clothing that you wished you would have had when you needed it for some event. So we all like finding things. In this particular parable, we're not really sure whether the man was intently looking for this treasure 
or if he just stumbled upon it. Jesus doesn't really tell us. But we do know that once he finds the treasure, his life is changed. You know, those of us in this room that have professed faith in Jesus Christ, we all came to Jesus in different ways. Some of you weighed out very carefully the cost of what it meant to follow Christ. The pros and the cons. Maybe you even looked at multiple religions, and at the end you found that Christianity was in fact the one true way for salvation. If you've ever read the book or watched the movie, The Case for Christ, this was his story. He was a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. His wife made a decision to follow Christ. He himself was an atheist. He was disgusted in her new lifestyle. So he went all over the world and interviewed experts in Christianity to disprove that it was real. And if you've ever read the book or watched the movie, you know what happens. He's converted. He goes and he interviews a man who is an expert on the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes and he interviews somebody who's an expert on the authority of the New Testament. And then he goes and he visits a psychiatrist. And he says, in the Gospels it says that 500 people appeared to Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. There's no way I believe that. That had to be some type of hallucination. And the medical doctor tells him, 500 people don't have hallucinations at the same time. It's not like catching a common cold. So everywhere he went, hoping to disprove the evidence of Christianity, at the end of the movie and at the end of the book, he's converted. Or maybe you grew up in the church your entire life and you accepted the claims of this book without question. However you came to faith in Christ, however you were searching for the treasure, eventually you made the decision to follow Christ. But not everyone in this room has made that decision. Some are still searching. Some don't think the cost is worth what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. All we know from this story, we don't know anything about the man, we don't know his name, we don't know where he's from, he found the treasure, and everything from that day forward changed. There's a book written by a pastor in New York City. His name's Tim Keller. The name of the book is Every Good Endeavor. And he focuses on, in that book, how people that are in the secular workplace can be a bold witness for Christ in their place of employment. That's what the book is about. One of the things he talks about in that book is if we're not careful, we can allow our profession to become an idol in our life. Now, an idol is anything that you look to to give you ultimate satisfaction apart from God himself. So, for instance, if everything in your life was stripped from you except God, would you be satisfied? And if the answer is no, you have idols in your life. Now, we all have idols in our life. This isn't just unique to you. We all have things in our life that we can't imagine life without. Whether it be our job, our family, a sports team, a favorite food, 
favorite TV show, they exist in all facets of life. You know, Martin Luther, the great theologian of the Reformation, said, people only violate the other nine commandments after they violated the first one. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. So how does this play out? Let's say you, you're up for a promotion at work. And if you complete this business transaction, it's going to lead to more money. It's going to lead to more power, more status in your company. And so in the course of this business deal, you tell a little white lie. You allowed the idol of power and status and money to allow you to lie. Or perhaps you're attracted to somebody who's not your spouse. You have allowed that individual to take precedent over your relationship with God, which leads to adultery. This works out with every other commandment. Every time we put something in front of God, the idols in our life lead us to sin. So as we see this man searching for the treasure, and once he finds it, it changes his life. We have to ask ourselves this morning, what are the treasures that we have in our life? Examine your treasures. What are the things that matter most to you? And those things that have been elevated above God and His Word must be tapered. It's difficult. It's not easy. We deal with idolatry our entire life. We go through seasons of life where God and His Word are at the forefront, and then we go through seasons of life when it's not. But as we enter into 2018, let's cast down the idols. Let's examine those treasures in our life that are not God and His Word. Secondly, I want you to realize that true treasure leads you to eternal joy. The man finds the treasure, sells everything he has, and takes it. It changed everything about his entire life once he found it. When Jesus grabs a hold of your heart and he changes you, you begin to filter every decision through the lens of Jesus Christ. It's impossible not to. Because when he saves you, he becomes your priority. Every decision filtered through the lens of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the way God designed it. I was reading another article a few weeks ago about my home state. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Most of you know. I don't want to lose anybody in the sermon. Um, it was discussing the poorest part of the state known as the Black Belt. This is the, the poorest part of the state. It's gotten so bad there that they brought in a UN specialist to research and examine why the poverty level in this part of the state is so far below what it should be for the year 2017. I want to read a quote to you that the man 
said in response to his study. This is what he said. The idea of human rights is that people have basic dignity and that it's the role of the government, yes, the government, to ensure that no one falls below the decent level. I don't know this guy. I understand what he's trying to say. But let me make it very clear this morning. That is not the government's job. Basic human rights should be the focus of the church of Jesus Christ. We don't just concern ourselves with the things that happen in this room. We should concern ourselves with poverty, unemployment, education, sex trafficking, orphans, widows. All things that we find in God's word. So the fact that this man even thought that this is the government's job means one of two things. Either we're not doing our job or the government's not partnering with us. We have a duty to address the hard parts of life. We don't just come in here talk about Jesus and his forgiveness of sin and forget that when we drive home today and we get off the interstate, there's going to be somebody at almost every single exit holding up a sign saying they need money. Whether that's a legitimate sign or not is not for us to worry about. We address the problems. Who is more equipped to deal with the holistic aspect of a human being than followers of Jesus? Regularly, we find him addressing physical needs, emotional needs, as well as spiritual needs. This is why every one of you in this room who has a job outside of the church, this is why your career is so important. Because you reach a segment of the population that I cannot reach. Whether you're in education, healthcare, finance, service industry, construction, whatever it is you do for a living, you wake up each morning and you can say, how can I serve people through my job? How can I be a gospel witness in my job? A gospel witness does not just mean praying for your coworkers and sharing the gospel with them. It means that whatever God has designed you to do in your place of work, you do it wholeheartedly, as hard as you possibly can, with the highest amount of integrity possible. And over time, people will look at you and realize there's a reason why he's behaving this way. There's a reason why he's such a man of integrity, such a woman of integrity. It's because Jesus is in your work. The worst possible thing we can do is leave Jesus in this room when we leave on Sunday. He goes with you into the workplace, into your hobbies, into your family. The days of if you build it, they will come have been long gone. People are not coming into the walls of this church because we build a building or because we have a sign that says, come and join us. 
But they might come if they see you in your place of employment, giving Jesus the credit, loving on them unconditionally, regardless of their past or what they're dealing with. So we're going to be talking about that a lot in the coming months. This Wednesday night, in fact, we're starting a new study. It's called Redeeming Work. We're going to try to find a way to take all of the talents that God has designed you for in your place of employment and merge it with the gospel. How can what you do make you a change agent for the cause of Christ? True treasure brings you eternal joy. Your work life should be a joyous occasion for you. Is it hard to get up sometimes? Of course. Do we want to be there every day? No. But God has put you there to be a witness for Him. Find joy in that. And when Jesus changes your heart and you find true joy in Him, the overflow of that is that you want to share what he's done for you with others. I know many times when I think about sharing my faith, anxiety, fear, dread, I don't want to move the conversation to heavier things. It's just easy to talk about sports and current events and the weather and our family. It's true, it's easier. But at some point, if The treasure that we have is what is in this story today. That a man was willing to cash it all in in order to have it. How can we not go and share that treasure with others? When you find the true treasure, you get eternal joy. And when you find the true treasure, it radically transforms your life. We had a Christmas luncheon a few weeks ago with Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. We have a Christmas lunch with them every single year. It's a delicious meal. We had clam chowder, which I don't eat, but you know, a lot of people do. One of the ladies from Franklin Avenue actually found a pearl in her clam chowder. I'm not making this story up. I know a lot of times preachers tend to embellish illustrations. I promise you. This happened, and I took a picture of it, but for some reason I deleted it on my phone. But just take my word for it. Uh, Christy, you saw it. There was a pearl. She's nodding her head no, but I promise you it happened. There was a pearl from her clam chowder. I don't think she just had a random pearl that she brought from home. All right? So, it was in there. I looked on Jared's website, you know, the jingle. It can only be Jared's. I looked on their website. A pearl necklace strung all the way across, $300. Now, I don't own a pearl necklace. I don't know if that's high or low or whatever. But a pearl in Jesus' day, just like today, is a valuable, it's not a stone, a piece of jewelry. Maybe it is a stone. I'm not sure. I'm not a jewelry expert. But I do know that it's valuable. And in the second parable, the man, the merchant, is searching intently specifically for this pearl. And he finds it. And when he finds it, Jesus tells us, like the first man, he sold it all. 
He had to have the pearl. Now, we oftentimes focus on the pearl and we gloss over the most important part, in my opinion, of the story. Is that the man gave it all up for the pearl. Everything he had to obtain the pearl. You see, when Jesus grabs a hold of you and he transforms you as he transformed or as the man was transformed by the pearl in this story, you go all in. If you'll remember in Revelation, when they're talking about the church at Laodicea, he said that you've been neither hot nor cold, therefore I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Being lukewarm and being a follower of Jesus is the absolute worst thing that we can do. Jesus would rather you be all out than be halfway in. Let me say that again. He would rather you be all out than have one foot in and one foot out. As the man is searching for this pearl, realize that everyone you know is searching for something. They're worshiping something. They're worshiping their career. They're worshiping their spouse, their children, their grandchildren. Even the atheist himself is worshiping something. He's worshiping the idea that there is no God. Whether you're worshiping God as Lord and Savior this morning, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But you are worshiping something. It's difficult in this day and age to be all in on something. Because we're so scattered. We're so busy. Our lives have taken such a turn in all these different directions. But Jesus makes it very clear. If you want to follow after him, you got to be ready and willing to give it all up to follow him. Listen to this quote also by Tim Keller. He's getting a lot of uh, love this morning. Either you'll have to kill Jesus or you'll have to crown him. But the one thing you can't do is just say, what an interesting guy. His claims don't allow that type of answer. The reality is you and I don't need Jesus because he's a good teacher, okay? There's lots of good teachers. We don't even need Jesus because of his moral example. How many of you could raise your hand this morning and say, you know somebody who's not a believer who you would consider to be a better person than you? So we know we don't need Jesus for his moral example, even though it's good, don't get me wrong. You don't need him for his teaching. You don't need him for his moral example. You need him because of the resurrection. Let me share with you a story. I referenced it on the front of your worship guide. Thomas Jefferson, founding father, third president of the United States, created his own Bible. Not his own translation, not his own version. I mean, he created his own Bible. It's called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's also called the Jefferson Bible. 
Here's what Thomas Jefferson did. In his Bible, he started it with the story of the birth of Jesus. In that day, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. This is how his Bible begins. Let me read to you how his Bible ends. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb, and they departed. Thomas Jefferson eliminated the miracles in Jesus' ministry. Not just the ones where he fed 5,000 or healed the blind, but he eliminated the sole reason you and I worship Jesus this morning. The resurrection. Take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Destroy Christianity. Because without Jesus coming out of the grave and conquering sin, you and I don't have power over sin. Therefore, when we die, apart from Jesus' work on the cross and being raised from the dead, no power over sin. You and I would die a death apart from God forever. So, unless Thomas Jefferson had a deathbed conversion and became a believer in Jesus Christ for what he did on the cross, Thomas Jefferson is spending eternity apart from God forever. Because we don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe about Jesus. In practicality, we do it all the time, but we don't get to pick and choose. When you're sold out, when you're all in for Jesus and his gospel, you take even the difficult things that he says, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you learn how to do it. Even the things that you or not even sure you agree with. You believe it. Because your Savior died for you. Jesus is not impressed with us showing up here every Sunday to please our spouse, or our parents, or our children. He's not impressed with our good behavior because we know we need to be a good person. What he wants you to do is trust him as Lord and Savior for what he did for you on the cross. We don't want to cut and paste Jesus' commands to us. We don't want to cut and paste like Thomas Jefferson did. The claims in this book, although difficult at times, change your life forever. And when your life is changed, there's no going back. He transforms you forever. So as you reflect on these about 12 hours we have left in 2017, as we move in to 2018, I'd ask you to examine your treasures. I would ask you to examine how important 
the teachings in this book are to you. And I would ask you, is Jesus a consultant or is he your Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, the teachings in these parables are heavy. They're overwhelming for us to think about all the things that we might have to give up in order to follow you. But God, you love us so much that you died for us. So God, humble us. Break us in those areas of pride where we are refusing to do what you've called us to do. God, we're never going to be where we need to be. We can never live up to a perfect standard, but we know because of what you did on the cross, we can have eternal life if we'll believe in you. God, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who faith in Christ means the loss of a job, the loss of a family, even the loss of a life. Pray for boldness for them this morning as they stand true for you in difficult situations. Thank you for your blessings in 2017. Use us in 2018 for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.